This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 3, Episode 4. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihatton. Good evening, Randy. Hi there, Lynn. So today, uh, we're speaking with a an author we just discovered, Eric Francis, author of NASCD book. Now, that's a good question. How to promote cognitive rigor through questioning. Eric is the owner and lead professional education specialist for Maverick Education, LLC, providing professional development, guidance, and support in teaching and learning for cognitive rigor. He works closely with K-12 schools across the nation, developing active and authentic teaching and learning experiences that address the cognitive rigor of college and career-ready standards by challenging and engaging students to demonstrate higher-order thinking and communicate depth of knowledge. Eric has been an educator for more than 20 years, working as a middle and high school English language arts and math teacher, a site administrator, and an education program specialist in the Title I unit of a state education agency. He's also the featured presenter for the Education Development and Support Program offered through the Grand Canyon University. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you. It's been uh, it's really an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. We're looking forward to the conversation. So to kick it off, uh, can you tell us what's the big question that was behind your writing of the book? Now, that's a good question. Well, I can tell you what the big question was not. And the big question that was not was, uh, what is a good question? I didn't write this book to intend to identify a bunch of good questions. Um, the big focus was, what does a good question do? And the question really that I want to ask people when they read this book is, how can a good question prompt students not only to think deeply, but also express and share the depth and extent of their learning? The college and career ready standards we've been implementing across the nation they challenge students not only to demonstrate higher order thinking uh, as categorized by Bloom's revised taxonomy, but also communicate depth of knowledge as designated within the levels of Webb's depth of knowledge model. So what I wanted to do was write a book that identifies eight different types of questions that will promote cognitive rigor by challenging students not only to demonstrate, but also communicate their learning. And I also wanted to come up with questions that will really engage students in student-centered learning experiences that will not only, uh, these questions will not only set the instructional focus, but also will serve as summative assessments and formative assessments and even authentic assessments for deeper student learning experiences. 
So if there's a big question that surrounds that book or that essential question, the essential question is how do good questions prompt students to think deeply and also expect them to share uh, the depth and extent of their learning? So you talk about eight different kinds of questions and, and the purpose to promote rigor and uh, communicate depth of knowledge through webs. We want to highlight a few of those questions. So um, can you highlight maybe two of those questions to start with? Well, really the big questions uh, that we ask our students are first the essential questions. And those are just questions that really set the instructional for focus and serve as assessments for deeper student learning. That's the question that really should get the learning uh, moving and get the students going and really un uh, set the uh, specific focus as to what the students are going to know, understand, and expect to do. The other question I think that are very powerful what I call the personal questions. And the personal question asks the students, what is it you want to learn about the text or topic that we're reading and reviewing in class? So if the student has a question, that becomes their question, and the expectation comes for them to go out and find the answers to that question and then share with the class in some sort of oral, written, or creative or technical presentation what they found in answering that question that they came up with. I like that idea of personal questions because it really ties in with uh, what we've been talking about within our school district, and that is this idea of learner agency. So how do learners take control of the learning? And one of the ways is obviously to ask those personal kinds of questions. You also mentioned this idea of essential questions. So talk to us a little bit about essential questions. What makes an essential question? Well, it's really interesting because it really depends upon who you read. If you read Grant Wick and Jay McTighe, they will say, uh, these are the timeless, most important questions our students can address and respond to. Well, I have to teach linear equations. What does that look like? <laughs> and then you have Ted Sizer, who actually did come up with the essential question philosophy with his essential schools. And he said, is the most important question you can ask in a particular subject area. Again, what does that look like? I have to teach linear equations or we're reading Charlie Chocolate Factory. And if you talk to John Larmer with project-based learning, his essential questions is what you call driving questions. That's that question that engaged students in the project-based learning experience. So what I did in the book, I said there are four types of essential questions. And an essential question essentially sets the instructional focus and also serves as the formative, summative, or authentic assessment for a deeper student learning experience. It's that powerful question, that one question, that really establishes what is it the students are going to learn by reading and reviewing this text or topic, and how are they going to demonstrate and communicate the depth and extent of their learning? So I identify four. The first type is what we call a universal question. These are those really grand, broad, existential questions. So questions like, what is life? That would be a universal essential question. And I would ask that question in my class, and I would ask them to give me their perspective about what is life, what is the dictionary definition, what's the religious definition, what's a philosophical, what's a legal definition. Then you get to the overarching essential questions. Those are the questions that will be asked in a subject area at any grade level. We get those questions from the anchor standards or the standards of, math or standards of practices or the cross-cutting concepts. So, for example, in science, we can say, how does science explain natural events and phenomena? In English language arts, we can say, how can the central idea or theme of a text be determined and how does it develop over the course of a text? 
in history of social studies, we can say, how do cultures and societies establish a lifestyle uh, for people? So again, it's that really broad question that is examined, explored deeply in a subject area. The topical essential question is that big question, that big idea and enduring understanding you're going to address as part of a specific unit. So if I was teaching about um, cells, I would say, how are cells the basic component, basic component of life? If I was teaching English language arts, I would say, uh, if I was teaching the outsiders, I would say, how does the outsiders address the theme of coming of age? If I was teaching history or social studies, I would say, how did the Puritans establish a particular lifestyle for themselves? The driving question is, a, is the project-based learning question or the question that is very personalized. It challenges students to demonstrate and communicate their learning in their own unique way. And these questions always have the word you in it. So I could say, what kind of model can you develop and use to explain how cells are the basic component of life? Or in English language arts, uh, what kind of narrative can you write that is a coming of age story or social studies? What kind of informative text can you write that explains the philosophy and ideologies of the Puritan lifestyle? So do you see how that progresses? It goes from a much broader idea and grander idea to a, a core idea or enduring understanding of a subject area to really getting down to the topic or the text that you're uh, studying in the unit. And then finally, you learn all this stuff what can you design and develop and do with these deeper concepts and ideas and processes that you've learned? So really interesting to see those different types of essential questions. And I feel like we could probably do a whole podcast on essential questions um, based on what you've just shared. Um, so certainly um, thank you for sharing those those ideas because that is something that's really important to us in our in our district. And as our teachers listen to this, I hope that they'll be able to make some connections and some of the content that you shared are things that our, our teachers are also teaching. Our kids love the Outsiders novel. <laughs> um, so we recently redefined our vision and with our teachers and our leaders, we're working on uh, realizing our profile of a graduate and we've identified knowledge, skills and dispositions that we want our students to have uh, when they leave us. And a good entry point for us has been the four C's as, as skills. And I really made some connections to that in um, your chapter four, where you talked about good analytical questions and um, how those questions can deepen knowledge and thinking. Can you share with us what an analytical question is and how it can be used to promote critical thinking? Well, analytical questions essentially ask the two most powerful question stems, which are how and why. In fact, those are two question stems that can be asked as an analytical question or even as a reflective, uh, reflective question. What analytical, analytical questions do is that they challenge students to think critically and deeply about how they can transfer and use what they're learning in different contexts. It also um, challenges them to think critically and also deeply about why something is categorized or classified or characterized some way, or to think critically about uh, how does the author express and share their ideas using uh, certain forms of language or figurative language or different forms of adjectives? So it really delves into that deeper critical thinking of what is the thinking or what is the conceptual or procedural understanding behind the ideas and information. So if I was teaching math 
it's not what is addition, but how can addition be used to uh, address the following uh, word problems or address the following mathematical problems? What you're doing with that is that you're shifting away from the problem itself and you're challenging a student to think critically about how they can use the conceptual and procedural understanding they develop in mathematics to solve that problem. Or, for example, the standard says, use understand the concept of ratio and use rate language to solve mathematical and real problems. That analytical question would be, how can the concept of ratio and rate language be used to solve mathematical and real world problems? That's that instructional focus. That's that critical thinking. I can give you 20 problems, ask you to pick five. That becomes your textual evidence to respond to that critical thinking question. So you, what you're doing is you're thinking about not so much how to use ratio and rate language, but you're thinking about how and why can ratio and rate language be used to attain and explain these answers, outcomes, and results. So I like uh, how you've made that connection for the anal to the analytical questions and critical thinking. So argumentative questions are kind of, I think, connected to critical thinking as well because they promote this decision-making and problem-solving. Can you talk a little bit about argumentative questions? Yeah, argumentative questions actually are the stronger questions that promote critical thinking because what they're showing is that they're, they're challenging you to uh, dis make decisions and defend those decisions or uh, defend and refute the decisions of others. So with argumentative questions, these are all about choice. These are actually truly multiple choice questions. A multiple choice question should not be pick the correct one from the three distractors. A multiple choice question should be, here are three options, here are three possible choices you can have to address and respond to this scenario, this setting or situation. Which one is the most effective or the most appropriate or uh, the, the most um, expedient and why? That's the argument there. You have to defend and explain your answers. You have to use textual evidence and examples to explain your answers. So when I ask argumentative questions, I'm not answer, asking a question like, is the death penalty appropriate? That can be answered with a yes or a no, or I don't know, or even I don't care. Yes or no questions are what I call <laughs> cognition killers and conversation killers, because you can basically say yes or no and then end it right there. Mm -hmm. What you wanna do is you wanna basically give the kids choices. So have them think critically. Is the death penalty appropriate inappropriate or depends upon the situation. So now what they're doing is they're thinking critically in the terms of it's not just black and white and it's not just this. They have to think critically about, okay, wait a minute. Is it always this situation? Is there some sort of uh, options that basically would not be this situation? Is it always not this situation? So again, that's the thinking critically, making choices and defending those decisions. Mm -hmm. So I'm making a connection between your yes, no questions and open, closed questions. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought about when I was reading your book is all of the different kinds of questions and um, types of questions that we've read about over the last 20 years. So I'm connecting that yes, no to open, closed. And I think your idea of um, reframing the multiple choice questions is really interesting and encourages students to use those higher level thinking skills. Right. You always want to give them, especially with argumentative questions, you always want to give them all sides of the argument because uh, 
an argumentative question should be answered with it depends. And that's what kids should be thinking about. It depends. And they should be look, be able to consider all sides and all options before they make a final decision. Now, they could pick one to say, yes, it's appropriate. Or they could say, yes, it's inappropriate. Or they can even say, you know, well, it really depends upon the situation. Because what you're doing is you're prompting the student to think critically and you're prompting the stimulating their deeper thinking to say, well, wait a minute, maybe this isn't just as black and white as a yes or no, or maybe there are shades of gray. That's what good argumentative questions do. They're not meant to be answered correctly. They're meant to be defended, explained, justified, supported, or even refuted. So that's where that critical thinking comes in. Really think about what is that question asking you and really is the answer as black and white as you might think it is. So we've talked about critical thinking. Another one of the four C's that many of our teachers are exploring this year is creativity and uh, making the connection between a, a type of question and creativity was really interesting to see in your book. So can you talk to us a little bit about hypothetical questions and how they can be used to pique curiosity and creativity? Well, what if is one of the most powerful questions that we can ask. In fact, if you look at the advertising and marketing industry, they really be, they're really big on pushing the whole what if because it really gets you curious and, and basically stimulates your deeper thinking and even deepens your knowledge, understanding, awareness about, okay, what is this? What, what is the possibility of this happening? So think about how exciting our classes could be if we always pose the question, what if? Let's say I'm teaching American uh, history and I'm teaching about uh, how the American, how the United States of America was governed after the American Revolution. I ask this, what if the United States were still governed under the Articles of Confederation? Let's say I'm teaching science and I'm teaching about natural hazards and I said, what if an earthquake hit our current location? What would happen? What could happen? English language arts, if you really want to get the kids to think deeply about and think critically about what it is they're reading, ask them to phrase it as a what if question. So for example, suppose I said, okay, how could you describe the central idea or the main plot of Charlie the Chocolate Factory using what if? What if a young boy from an impoverished background got a golden ticket to uh, visit a candy factory by an eccentric uh, candy owner and had the opportunity to compete to become the owner of that candy store? Or what if a pig and a spider became lifelong friends despite their differences? That's Charlotte's Web. Or what if a woman was tarnished with a scarlet letter for committing a sin and her husband return, came to the new land to find out what the truth is and who truly is the father of her baby. That's the scarlet letter. Mm -hmm. So again, really getting it. And that's really what artists ask, what if? Think about every movie out there. Think about every song, every television show. Mm -hmm. That came from the question, what if? And in fact, when I taught, instead of just giving direct lectures like I am right now, I would say, well, what if I told you? And what would happen is, is that when I say, what if I told you, what that's doing is, it's not only prompting your thinking, but it's also inviting the students into the conversation. So I taught a whole lesson once 
about uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And I said, why did Teddy Roosevelt start the uh, U.S. Department of Forestry? And my students were just blank about it. They didn't give a response. I said, don't you find it interesting that Teddy Roosevelt, a big game hunter, was also a nature conservationist? And again, they really didn't uh, get into the question. And I said, what if I told you it's because Teddy Roosevelt encountered a Sasquatch in the Pacific Northwest and he lost track of it and he was worried that other hunters like him, they lived like Ted Nugent. You kill it, you grill it. Or fur trappers were trapping animals and they were selling you minks, but really it wasn't a mink. It was Harry from Harry and Henderson's. And also he was worried about what Buffalo Bill did with the bison and how he almost hunted them to extinction. So what if I told you Teddy Roosevelt started the U.S. Department of Forestry because of his encounter from a Sasquatch and he wanted to protect and preserve animals that have not only been identified but also yet to be identified from getting becoming extinct? Now, my students were so excited about that and they couldn't believe it. I said, well, go look it up. And what they actually found out was there's an actual incident in Teddy Roosevelt's book, The Wilderness Hunter, that was written in the late 1800s that talks about a fur trader named Bauman who encountered an ape-like creature in the Pacific Northwest. Now, was that the real reason? No. But it got them curious. It got them geeked. It got them interested. In fact, my students, they wanted to read the book, the Teddy Roosevelt book, where they talk about that. And I actually had one of my students who was very creative who um, wrote a screenplay called Teddy Roosevelt, Sasquatch Hunter. And he said, history tells us that Teddy Roosevelt started the U.S. Department of Forestry for this reason. But this is the true story. And that is the type of thinking, creative mm-hmm. thinking we want the kids to do. Somewhere in a classroom, there was a kid who thought, as he was learning about Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves, what if Abraham Lincoln was a vampire hunter? And he wrote a book and they made a movie out of it. And that person is more successful than, you know, many of us are from that. So that's that creativity, that what if. That's what the great artists ask. What if? And that's what fuels their creativity. It is Mm -hmm. amazing how a good question can really uh, spark that love of learning and more curiosity and more questions. Uh, That's pretty, pretty interesting. So in your book, you talk about eight types of questions. And you also talk about this idea of cognitive rigor. So connect those two things for us. Why should we as educators um, really be concerned and re- about reflecting on the kinds of questions that we ask and that our students ask and connect it to this idea of cognitive rigor? Well, first of all, we need to really establish what is cognitive rigor. Uh, it is a concept that was developed by Karen Hess and is actually adopted by the College and Career Ready Standards where we want students not just to demonstrate but also communicate their learning. And cognitive rigor involves superimposing Bloom's revised taxonomy, which is what categorizes higher order thinking, what we traditionally use, with Webb's depth of knowledge model, which talks about uh, the different levels of depth of knowledge that are designated. Now, Webb's depth of knowledge is about context, how you can transfer and use what you're learning. Bloom's is about cognition. What is the cognitive action that is expected to be demonstrated? And if you think about it, knowledge is not demonstrated. Knowledge is actually communicated. What I'm doing with you right now is not demonstrating my knowledge of uh, cognitive rigor questioning. I'm not showing. I'm telling you. And communication is key. Communication is one of the, the is probably the essential skill 
our students need to develop and what the essential skill that they're lacking going into the workforce. We need to bring writing back. We need to really focus on writing. And that's why we need to focus and really use questioning because questioning elicits communication. If I said to you, um, apply the Pythagorean theorem to solve problems involving right triangles, okay, you're just doing it. But if I said to you, how can the Pythagorean theorem be used to, to solve problems involving right triangles? Well, the first question I have to ask is, well, what's the Pythagorean theorem? And I would send my students out to go and find a definition of it and report back to me in their own words, what's the Pythagorean theorem? Don't just write what the text says, report it back. That's synthesizing information. When I'm asking that question, now I'm not just solving a bunch of problems involving the Pythagorean theorem. I'm actually explaining to you how can those solutions be attained and explained. So the reason why we really need to focus on our questions is because we need to teach our students to demonstrate and communicate their responses. It's not about what is the answer anymore, but rather how and why can that answer be attained and explained? How and why is that answer accurate or inaccurate? And most importantly, what else can you do with what you've learned to solve other problems and answer other questions? So that's why it's really important that we focus on teaching and learning through questioning. All the answers that are correct and incorrect they're out there. Knowledge is free. It's a commodity. You can Google every math problem you give these kids. You can Google every factual question you ask. What we need to teach kids to do is how to synthesize the information they're finding, putting it in their own words, getting them to think critically about it, think creatively about how to express and share it. That's why we need to ask questions. And also, we ask questions because that's what engages the students. That's what will get the students to want to learn. That's what will get the students to want to get involved in the learning. If I just say do this, then they just do it or they don't do it. If I say how and why can this be done, now I'm engaging that student not just to demonstrate but also communicate what they've learned. Yes, yeah, so thank you for clarifying that for us and for our listeners because that's a really important point and great to connect back to another one of the four C's. So uh, you conclude your book by giving teachers six ways to encourage students to address and respond to those questions. And we've talked about a lot of the questions and you've uh, laid the foundation for us in terms of why this is important. Um, can you highlight a couple of the strategies for us? Well, the biggest thing is that students need to communicate their responses. They should not just be able to give answers. They're supposed to respond. Uh, saying two plus two equals four is an answer. Explaining why 2 plus 2 equals 4 is a response. You're addressing it much, much deeper. The four areas I say that students, we should evaluate students when it comes to responses is first on accuracy. Is it correct or incorrect? Is it precise or inaccurate? The other is um, acceptability. Did they produce the type of answer that goes deeper into it or did they just give a blanket statement or did they just show that they didn't care about how to respond to the answer the other is appropriateness are they using appropriate language are they using appropriate uh, terminology are they speaking clearly and finally it's authenticity are they just regurgitating the information they get from the text or are they really synthesizing and expressing it in their own unique way that's the biggest thing we really need to have these kids do. 
We need to have kids to learn to demonstrate and communicate. Our kids are not communicating clearly. They can't express themselves clearly. They can't synthesize information clearly. We need to use questions to really get back to teaching them not only how to do something, but also explain how and why can things get done. Turn the student into a teacher. Turn the student into the person who can show and tell others what they've learned and what unique things they can do with what they've learned. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation and one that I know our teachers um, will find really valuable. And I know that a lot of our listeners will find it really valuable as well, because you sort of put a, a different take on this idea of questioning that really adds value, I think, to the conversations that we've been having. So to wrap up uh, the conversation here, what's next for Eric and what are you working on now? Well, right now it's just really getting out there, um, promoting my book, uh, doing professional development with uh, teachers and with districts. I really am looking forward to the opportunity. I've had some uh, great uh, opportunities to work with different districts and teachers to uh, work with their uh, instructional staff on how to develop these questions and how to deliver them. Um, I'm going to be presenting at a number of conferences over the next couple of months. I'm going to be uh, presenting at my uh, publisher's conference, ASCD and Power 17. Uh, I'm going to be presenting at a few conferences in California, uh, the CTA GO conference, the California Association for Gifted conference. I'm going to be going to Arkansas for their gifted conference and uh, uh, Florida for the Association of uh, Teacher Educators in Orlando and the Florida Association of Teacher Educators in uh, Tampa. But really, just really focusing on my book and really, uh, really trying to get out there and spread the word about asking good questions. But most importantly, bringing some clarity about what exactly is depth of knowledge. So thank you so much for joining us, Eric. We've enjoyed talking with you about using questions to promote cognitive rigor and uh, connecting that to our work in our district in the four C's and many resources available to our readers. We linked in the show notes um, directly to Eric. Eric's book. You can also check out Eric's website at Maverick Education. There is a podcast there for you to take a look at. And if you decide to read the book with a group of colleagues, ASCD has a study guide linked directly to the site. And don't forget to follow Eric on Twitter and find out what he's up to next. Thanks again, Eric. This has been a really uh, interesting conversation. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time and interest to uh, talk to me and allowing me to spread the message out there. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's question, what can you do tomorrow to upgrade your questioning strategies that promote cognitive rigor? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season three, episode four. We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes, let us know your star rating, and consider leaving a one- or two-sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.